Welcome to that 80 show, the show that will leave no fool unpitied. Paolo, how do you come up with those funny opening jokes? Theft. Theft predominantly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a line um, with the show where no fool will be left unpitied that I did steal from an article that I read that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Ah, okay. Not only is this a music show, but we also have that 80 show essay on Facebook, a thriving community. Thriving. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. It's it our is. people. It is. It is. Our people. People who get us and we get them. We all get each other. And this week I posted one of the most fantastic discoveries I've made in a very long time. Probably the most 80s commercial I think I've ever seen. Can I just say that commercials for cassette tapes have like been amazing. And we did not know this. A few weeks ago, we discovered ads from Japan for Maxell cassette tapes who used Wham! as their spokespeople. Mm-hmm. In this other ad we're going to talk about, I found out that this ad had a $1 million budget in 80s money. That's insane. An ad with a, and they put it all on screen. This didn't go to Coke behind the scenes. This all went up on screen. You can see this ad, a $1 million. What I love about them investing so much money into cassette tape advertising is they did not think cassette tapes would ever go away. Like these things, this is the best. And let's be honest. I mean, they really didn't last much longer than the 80s. Like CDs came in in the early 90s and that was it. No. The first CD got the first CD went on sale in like 1983 or 84. Yeah, but I mean when I, I, I mean out. mainstream use. Like, but pop mainstream, yeah, yeah. mainstream. Yeah, but but so so CDs were starting to float around. So I mean, they were investing so much money in cassette tapes. Yeah, <laughs> just like so shit, this is it, guys. This is state of the eighties. We're never gonna go further. So this commercial, right? I, I I did some research on the commercial, and it was described as never-ending story meets Mad Max. The shot opens upon a group of adventurers. In like a distant future, and a distant future from the eighties, probably twenty or 2003. Well, it's what they imagined like the future to look like. I mean, that whole Mad Mm. Max vibe, that whole dystopian desolation, everybody's living in the desert. I don't, what's it? What's it about? It's a Star Wars thing. I think it's a Star Wars thing, right? Could be a Star Wars thing. It was all very undiscovered. So you have this group of of adventurers. The main, the lead actor, his hair is, even for 80s hair, Mm -hmm. it is glorious. Dude, there is no way in hell that that guy's not Scandinavian. Has to be. I mean, those... that chiseled face, that hair. Mm. I mean, is it Simon Le Bon? I mean, that's, <laughs> no, that's the first not, thing. That not even close. <laughs> but, but him and his adventures certainly look like a, a, a new romantics um, and a new wave 80s band. And they are looking for something. And, of course, there's the obligatory man blowing mm-hmm. a bubble gum. You know, because you, <laughs> you weren't 80s if you didn't blow bubble gum. And then for the first time, we know we're in the future because a boombox comes into shot. So funny. <laughs> and then through some happenstance, there's some cyborg type man with a screen on his face, which says something to them, mm-hmm. uh, which much, must say, play your boombox as loud as you can. Oh, we also know it's 80s. And we also know that they're definitely trying to sell us something because our main lead Simon Le Bon type character is wearing a Walkman headphones around his neck. Yeah, but you dude, you, you, you're getting the story wrong. The, the, the cyborg type dude, the message says audio blocked or something to that effect. Because in this world, everything is silent. That's the storyline. Ah, everything has to be easy. silent. And then the boombox guy comes and like changes everything. 
See, Dory, this is why. See, this is that sort of like formatic insight or just attention that you pay <laughs> that makes these things so rich. And oh, I forgot to mention, we've got to mention the princess yes. encased in ice mm-hmm. in this world. And of course, the boombox and the sonic waves from the boombox blows open the ice and freeze her. Freeze her. Not freeze her. Free. No, freeze, freeze her from her it's freeze. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> and then the voice comes up and says something something 80s music 80s something something general electric <laughs> first of all i never knew general electric made cassette tapes general electric like make everything like they 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 involved in everything they don't just make vacuum cleaners they do like everything and um obviously at the time general electric was was struggling so they thought, what best way to, to save our business than spend a million 80s dollars yeah. on cassette tape advertising? <laughs> I wonder if it worked out in their favor. Well, it did. General Electric are huge. Yeah. They're, they're absolutely huge. I mean, I think 30 Rock did like a whole thing where they kept making fun of like all the things General Electric owned. And it's not that far off. I, mean, I wonder, did people uh, like so. suddenly go, I don't need TDK or Maxell. I just want to buy General Electric tapes. What, what's happening with tapes now? Who's doing tapes? There's, there, there'll be, there will never be a cassette tape revival. No. And I mean, can you imagine like how much tape is in like the landfills of the world? Because I know how many tapes I threw away in my time. Yeah. Just on the road. I mean, I think that that's how, if you had to go, if you like got bonked on the head and somehow you didn't know you traveled back in time and you'd go, how do I know I'm in the 80s through one thing? Just look at the road. Is there a, like a cassette tape with all its guts ripped out? So, <laughs> remember that shit, you're driving and your tape starts fucking, ah, oh, damn it. Modern talking out the window with you. <laughs> oh, so if you want to check out that ad, it is on our Facebook page. Definitely worth a watch. It is so glorious and just confirm, just watch it and confirm for me that it is Simon LeBon. That's definitely Simon LeBon, no, the, the lead guy. Still not. Still not. What? What here? This is that 80s show, and we go back, as you heard earlier, Dory has got an eye for detail when it comes to narrative. Do you know, what, do you know what, Tyler? We have not explained this week's theme yet. <laughs> oh, it's music, guys. It's music. <laughs> Just shut up and listen. <laughs> this week's theme, I like to call color by numbers because it's artists or bands or song titles with either colors or numbers in them. I need to make up for last week's movie <laughs> because I think I just put everyone into a deep, dark depression last week with uh, My Grave of the Fireflies. The movie that I described, I mean, we have <laughs> Peek Behind the Curtain. We have a a Google Sheet where we put all of the details because Dory and I forget things and all the movies that we've covered. And I couldn't, I was so depressed by Dory's movie, I couldn't even remember the name. <laughs> and some, what's some animated shit about war and dying and maggots and shit. <laughs> <laughs> also known as Grave of the Fireflies. But yes, I'm more than making up for it this week, Paolo, because this week we are going back to high school in a teen romantic comedy romp love it love it okay i mean where where am i most comfortable this is where this is where i live right i'm back i'm back home now this this movie was inspired by a podcast i recently listened to that was a very long interview with rob Lowe. Ooh. yes 
This movie does not have Rob Lowe in it, by the way. <laughs> but he mm. mentions this movie because um, I can't even remember how it came up in the conversation, but somehow Patrick Dempsey came up in the conversation. And he was talking about how, I mean, Patrick Dempsey is the ultimate transformation story where all what? he did in the 80s was play these nerdy roles. And then all of a sudden he's McDreamy in Grey's Anatomy. I know. I know. Like the first time I saw McDreamy, I was like, hmm, that's not. That's like, not what? I mean, what? What's like happening? He, he was a lovable nerd, but yeah. ne- he was never McDreamy. But I suppose that is the evolution of a lot of lovable nerds in high school yeah. who were studying and the next thing they're hot doctors. So, I mean, I suppose exactly. that's, we exactly. can relate. So for me, this is like the ultimate. It's actually this movie is Revenge of the Nerd. And like <laughs> it's a really good version of that. And I have to say, I remember watching this movie on the big screen. It was in 1980. It came out in 1987. So we probably got it here in 1988 or 1989. And by then I was, you know, 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, and yeah, I definitely saw it on the big screen. I remember enjoying it thoroughly. I watched it again last night. It's not as amazing as I remember, but it's still a very worthy watch. Patrick Dempsey starts out looking very, very, very nerdy in this movie, but then he has this little bit of a transformation. And I have to say, I thought he was quite cute. I don't remember if I thought that in the 80s when I was a teenager. Why don't you play us the trailer? Cindy Mancini and Ronald Miller live on the same street, but they're in totally different worlds. Wouldn't you like to be popular? Cindy's hot, Ronald's not, but he's got a plan that could change all that. I want to rent you. Rent me? Yeah. You pretend you like me, and we go out for just a few weeks. Just going out with me is not going to make you popular. Well, I have a thousand dollars. It says it will. Now, the biggest social transformation in history. No hand-holding, no kissing, and I get my lunch hour off is about to begin. Okay, Donald, we're ready. Listen to you one last thing. Yeah. My name is Ronald, not Donald. Love. I think that's Ronald Miller. Didn't you like used to mow our lawn? Ronald's over in no man's land, and he's still alive. He's going from totally geek. Totally chic. Let's dance! To totally out of control. I have moves. All I ever did was think about you. Say yourself. Don't change. Please make me change. Never. It's the comedy that proves a thousand dollars can buy popularity, but it can't buy me love. He's such a such a heartbreaker. I knew it was the one with the lawnmower. <laughs> I, I was going to say to you, lawnmower. I knew it. Oh, I knew the lawnmower because he was he was the 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 lawn boy, right? Yes. Yes. So, base. Okay. Story in a nutshell. He's this nerdy kid who mows lawns. And then there's the popular, so it's, it's the, all the cliques. They called them the cools. The cool kids were called the cools. And then there were the geeks. They didn't even call them nerds. They called them geeks. And, of course, there was this huge divide between everyone at school. And he was a geek, and he really liked this girl, Cindy, who was one of the cools, this very pretty girl. And he was trying to figure out, oh, what can you do about this crush that he has? And then an opportunity presents itself where he gets her out of a very, very tricky situation. And I mean, it sounds really, I, mean, I think in retrospect, it's like very un-PC. There's a lot of un-PC stuff in this movie. <gasps> Ooh, there's a few things, but. It goes, <laughs> it goes, goes without saying. Exactly. It goes without saying, like I had to see this week, Disney Plus put like trigger warnings on Muppets. <laughs> That's when you know the world's fucking gone mad, that they have to put trigger warnings on fucking old episodes of Muppets. Why? Like, what? Cross-sake. I don't understand. 
like misrepresentation of cultures and things like that, which are like, okay, but it's the Muppets, guys. I mean, like, fuck, if you're going to be upset by the Muppets. Yeah. Anyway, back to my movie. So he comes up with, there's a, yeah. So he basically bails her out of a very tricky situation by giving her a thousand dollars. Now a thousand dollars in 1987, a thousand dollars is a lot of money now, but in 1987, a thousand dollars was an insane amount of money. For a high school kid. For a high school kid. Exactly. <laughs> how big were the fucking lawns that he was mowing? Yes. And how many moms was he banging when he should have been no, mowing he, those lawns? That's a lot of money. He had mowed something like 300 and something hours or something to get that amount of money. Anyway, he had mowed a lot of lawns for a, a long time. And in return, he wants her to basically pretend to be his girlfriend so that he can become popular. He's tired of being a geek. He wants to know what it's like to be popular. And he basically rents her as his girlfriend for a month with his money. And she's just like, this isn't going to work. And of course it works. Of course it works. It, it, it's a bit it's a bit rocky at first. And then all of a sudden, everybody thinks he's like the coolest dude in school. And of course, what happens? It's predictable. Of course, he starts ignoring his geeky friends. And they're like, oh, you know, you're not the same person. Anyway, long story short, we get to the happy ending. It's kind of the story kind of goes as you expect it to go, but there is a really great scene towards the end where a whole statement is made about how, you know, we're all just people. It doesn't matter if you're a geek or a cool kid. We're all just people and high school's hard enough and why do we have to make it harder? And I really, really appreciated that that part of the movie. Probably in a different way <laughs> to when I watched it in the eighties. <laughs> So it's really, really fun. It's really worth watching. Um, uh, it's not on any of the streaming services. You've got to find it by the means. So Dory's lovely little tale of teenage prostitution uh, <laughs> in this week's 80s movie review. The lighter side of teenage high school prostitution. <laughs> yes, but all set to a catchy Beatles soundtrack. Oh, yes. No, never mind that. The soundtrack's great. Hey, There's Billy Idol. There's Living in a Box. There's Curiosity Killed the Cat. It's a really great soundtrack as well, which, which adds to it. And, you know, like if you think there is no hope for you of being a sex symbol – you know, just watch it and just be inspired because nobody fucking saw McDreamy coming after this. No one. No one. No one. My movie, imagine this. Oh, God, imagine this. So, like, you know, like you said there, when movies came out in their release, it's so funny when we redo these movies and you look at the re- release date, you're like, I'm pretty sure I watched it much later than that. Yeah. <laughs> Because movies came out later, yeah, because it had to go through like seven rounds of the apartheid government. Exactly. We definitely got stuff at least a year and possibly two years later, most of the time. Mm, mm, because they had to like cut things out and had to watch porn scenes over and over again. Mm, let's just be sure, let's be 100% sure that that was a nipple. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> this is no good for everyone. It's, it's okay for me. It's okay for me, but it's not good for the general population. Yes, yes. Yes, the rewind and pause button was very worn down on the VHS there at uh, the publication and censorship board. So imagine this, this is probably about 1988 or so. My friends, could have been my birthday, but could have been my best friends, but somebody's birthday, we're all gathered around. He's got, you know what, movie. Guys, we're going to watch a movie. That's what you did at birthday parties in the 80s. Kids, you're going to watch a movie, hot new movie off the press. You had booked it days before. And we all okay. sit around, and now it's one of our favorite animations brought to life, or not brought to life, feature length, okay? None of this 20-minute after-school yes. shit. This is an hour and a half, right? 
and we're watching it and we go, oh my God, this is amazing. Starts big battle scene. Wow, fucking straight out the bat. Battles, fights, our favorites, fights. I mean, we're not even 20 minutes in and our favorite character, the lead character, the tent pole that the whole franchise is built around, dies. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like Game of Thrones before it's time. <laughs> we're like, we're, 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 but we, we can't, we're not mentally... We're like, is the movie over now? Like, you don't kill your main yeah. character in the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the whole time you're waiting for him to come back to life, come back to life, come back to life, and he never does. And you've got the voice talents of people like Judd Nelson. Oh, okay. Mm, mm, Judd Nelson and Casey Kasem. <gasps> their, Casey Kasem? Even Le- Leonard Nimoy is in it. Hmm. Spock adding hmm. voices. Even a surprise appearance by Orson Welles. It's like hmm. premier voice talent, which we didn't appreciate at the time. No. We're just like, our favorite character just died. And Transformers, the full-length movie, is a load of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is my movie of the week. We've sort of spoken about it before um, in passing. But, yeah. yes, that's the movie I want to talk to you about today is the Transformers movie. And, of course, we're kids in the 80s, loved the Transformers. And when they bought out the full-length animated movie, we just goddamn lost our minds. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I definitely did not see this. This was out of my scope of things. It, it would have yeah. been. It would have been, Dory. But, yeah. Awanu, you will definitely appreciate the cynicism of such a shameless cash grab in this because as we've come to learn, and we weren't really aware of it at the time, but animated series were simply created to sell toy lines, okay? So He-Man, they made the He-Man toys before they made the animated series. Yeah. Uh, and this was, you basically couldn't get a toy line commissioned unless you had an animated series because the theory would go, well, how are kids supposed to know who's who? Who's exactly. the good guys? Who's the bad guys? What's their motivation? They're morons. We got to yeah. give them a TV show to go with it. Right. And Transformers was one of those. And uh, in being reminded about this movie, I was like, why the hell would they kill off? I mean, Optimus Prime is, if you then, I mean, because we are aware of Transformers now, the Michael Bay movies and the hundred million ones, there was a dinosaur one. Who the hell knows what's going on with the real life or CGI Transformer movies we've watched since then. So everybody's aware what a great massive character Trans- um, Optimus Prime is. And why would you kill him off? Yeah. And the very cynical reason for doing it is going, well, there's a new toy line to launch and we're going to upgrade Optimus Prime. So we've got to kill him to kill off the old toy line to make the old toys redundant for kids. So when we relaunch the new look and bring him back to life naturally because he's a fucking robot truck so it can be rebuilt, he looks brand new and kids have to buy the new toy. Oh, that's so sneaky. So sneaky. (laughs) So 80s capitalist. (laughs) (laughs) Greed is good, right? So that's the reason. And guess what? I fell for it. I was all over that shit. I was like... I do not want the old Optimus Prime. This bitch is dead. I want the new one. Buy me many. And then, of course, all the other characters got upgraded, so you had to have all of them, and you couldn't have the old toys. So it worked, Dory. It worked. But the pain of seeing Optimus Prime die right there. And my favorite review from the movie says, this is now, it's reviewed years, years later. Though a modest film compared with Michael Bay's 2007 Transformers, The original Transformers is the better film. There's nothing even approaching the original's narrative depth. 
So even mm. compared to a cartoon, um, the yeah. new Transformers were quite. The new Transformers were quite rubbish. I was very lit down. Yeah, I watched life. the first one and it didn't do anything for me. So I never. I, I basically stopped there. I mean, it's basically Michael Bay. Things blow up in slow motions of Megan Fox, which is probably the most exploitative relationship since Can't Buy Me Love. <laughs> <laughs> this is That 80s Show. And Dory, I don't know if it's because we're doing the show or because it is just that time, but barely a week goes past where it's not a something anniversary of an 80-something like mm. the 40th anniversary of this movie coming out, the 30th th- anniversary of this. You notice that? Yeah, I do. Um, of course, it keeps this show ticking along. So thank God for that. Don't stop. But <laughs> a rather weird one popped out in the past few weeks is that it is just a few weeks past the 35th anniversary of Boy George appearing on the A-Team. <laughs> and we're going wow. to talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I remember you told me about this a while back, and I didn't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for the uninitiated, say somebody has never experienced Boy George or the A-Team, Dory. Just give it a bit of a description of both to sort of try to put us why it is such a weird mismatch. Yeah, well, I mean, it was so crazy because the A-Team was, I mean, you know, we all watched it, right? But it was like your action, uh, high action adventure very boy heavy and like lots of testosterone masculinity happening vietnam war vets and then you had on the other side of the spectrum (laughs) you had boy george who um i mean people used you know it was the 80s so people used to make unfortunate jokes and like what did people call him the gender bender i don't Mm. know if you can get away with saying that these days but Mm. yeah people were like oh this guy must decide is he a man or is he a woman kind of thing you know like there was a boy who had long hair. He used to wear makeup. I mean, what 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 the hell's going on? You could not get two things more different. And so, what a combination this was. So, how it came about is that, and this is something we're definitely going to talk about in next week's show. But uh, Miami Vice at the time was the king of cameo appearances in their show. Okay, and oh, yes. when we get to oh yes, when we get to it next week, we're going to go through the list of people who've been in Miami Vice. But a team. Like um, the ratings were sagging, it had been on air for a while, and it was just time for a little bit of a reboot. So I thought, you know, if it works for Miami Vice, we're going to do it. So let's go out and find somebody, somebody big, somebody on the cusp, somebody who's going to make us popular, and put them on the A-team and see what happens. So this pretty weird episode is called Cowboy George. And you'll remember um, the member of the A-team, Face Man. He yes. Through some weird plot, he gets involved in some deal where he has to book a band for this really rough redneck cowboy bar. And uh, he's got this band booked, and Boy George and the Culture Club show up, <laughs> which is not the sort of band that goes down well at a real man's cowboy bar. Okay. So crazy. I mean, that would never have happened in real life. Let's be honest. <laughs> I've got to be honest, right? So... When the episode did, when the anniversary popped up, I did like scan through the episode again. And surprisingly, the amount of really bad things that could have been said, considering it was the 80s, yeah. it was pretty tame. <laughs> like, I really thought, holy shit, things are going to go wild here. But they actually didn't really say anything too crazy. I mean, I think the worst thing they said was, I booked Cowboy George and some turkey in a sequined coat shows up. And that's pretty much as bad as it gets, right? 
So cowboy, thank God for Cowboy that. George. I, I just, I can't. Cowboy <laughs> George. Cowboy George. So yeah. they do a first performance and then there's some sort of like B plot where Hannibal's trying to get some criminals. It all culminates in Boy George kicking open a steel door. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, Murdoch is trying to like jimmy the lock with a hairpin that Boy George gave to him naturally because, you know, he's with the gender bender at the time. And then Boy George is like, forget this. That's not the way men do it. And he kicks the door open, but very unbelievably. (laughs) Do do you think Boy George looks back on this and just cringes and goes, oh, my God, how could I have done that? So, Dory, he has spoken about this appearance many, many times. He even mentions yes. And that's what I'm going to get into now. He even talks about it in his book, Take It Like a Man. Um, and uh-huh. in the numerous times he's spoken about it on uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, he said, I can't remember the exact amount. They paid me a lot of money, probably $100,000 at the time. It was something very alluring. That's why I did it. Right. In his book, he says that he had to stay stoned the whole time just to get through the experience because at this time, the tension between the A-team cast was they were no longer friendly, okay? There was a lot of bickering and fighting amongst the A-team cast that George Papad actually apologized to him afterwards for how unprofessional everyone is. And he was just like, I'm, too, I'm way too stoned. This is fine. <laughs> just do whatever. I'll take my 100000 So he said it wasn't the best experience on set. But how the whole thing comes about is that he he told this in another interview. He says, so obviously at the time, all the big stars were going on to Miami Vice and Boy George and the Culture Club got approached to be on Miami Vice. But this, and they quote, the singer revealed that his Culture Club bandmates initially wanted to be on the Red Hot Miami Vice, although it wasn't meant to be. He said, I think because of me, we were a little too camp for Miami Vice. (laughs) (laughs) wow okay well i mean i think they were equally camp but that's my opinion (laughs) imagine being too camp for miami vice (laughs) i mean really don johnson's loafers would beg to differ it is a hilarious episode of the a-team it was probably the death knell because from there they started putting people like hulk hogan and rick james started coming to the a-team and just like not long after that the whole thing just died down and you hear about a lot of behind the scenes um, fights and friction and you know to the point that he he mentions in another part of the interview that Mr. T um, was just so obnoxious just kept coming was a huge fan of Boy George which just really was enamored to meet him and kept coming into his trailer telling Boy George how fantastic Mr. T was to say I'm just the most fantastic person I'm so great to meet listen to all these cool things I did obviously trying to leave an impression on on young Boy George and, and, and uh, just fanboying we will. Jeez. We have posted uh, some of the stuff. I think there are links to the full episode on that 80 Show Facebook page and uh, also some of the articles. So please just do yourself a favor. Even if you just look through the photos of Mr. T and Boy George, I mean, Mr. T is roughhousing. Boy George is probably calling for help. <laughs> um, but <laughs> check those out for yourself. So here's the thing. Do you think that the A-team still don't speak to each other? I mean, those who are still alive. I I don't know who's still alive and who's not. I don't think they talk to each other because even when they did the A-team movie, like Mm. uh, none of them wanted to appear because they just couldn't stand to be around each other. So I think it's kind of sad. It's very sad. It's very Mm. sad. Um, Mm. But also it's awesome because they'll never, ever, ever, ever 
ever want to do like some cheesy, sad-ass remake where, oh my God, Mr. T is trying to be Mr. T, but he's 70. Oh God, no one wants to see that shit. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> no, no, true. <laughs> That is our South African music song for this week. And that song is best appreciated live, as you could hear. That was a live recording at an actual live gig. The band is called mm. the Cherry Face Lurchers. Now, some people may or may not have heard of them. The lead singer, some people may, may have heard of, James Phillips. He was a like, semi-well-known person on the South African music scene um, and then was also uh, involved with the soccer party around the 1994 elections and then was sadly killed in a car accident in mm. 1995. But the person who is joining us this week is my good friend, Damon Calvary, who is no stranger to CliffCentral.com. You have heard him on his show, Keeping Up With The Calvaries. You've heard him on The Gareth Cliff Show. Hi, Damon. I just remember the Cherry Face Lurchers. You say, Dory, the Cherry Face Lurchers is obscure. Even back in 1985, all my friends, every, all my contemporaries at school Never heard of them. And I was a very shy, awkward kid. And in terms of socializing at parties and with and with girls and with I couldn't dance. So I was I was always very shy when I went to parties. I couldn't dance to save my life. And I was always very self-conscious about it. But when I went to a cherry-faced lurchers concert, you didn't have to know how to dance. You didn't you just automatically got into it and just moved your body around and and it was just it was just amazing music. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It was just so every single song just for me had a hook, a tune. It just rocked. They have a song called Do the Lurch, which implies dance badly, right? I mean, you're lurching around the dance floor. Do the lurch, baby. Well, I heard about <laughs> that place, New Disco, what it's called. A place called Q's. I had no shoes, just some 55 rand tackies. I said, <laughs> okay. So anyway... Um, so it all started in 1985. I was 13 years old, and I remember my brother Philip. He came home the, the one either it was either the next morning, it was late at night, and he was all excited and happy. And he started putting up these posters: "Cherry Face Lurchers Live at Jamison's." So he started off the trend where we would steal posters after a concert. So I had I had Cherry Face Lurchers posters in my bedroom. I had uh, the Genuines. I had the Grefomita Blues Band. I had Jennifer Ferguson all over my bedroom. But anyway, so my brother said, oh, this band, the Cherry Face Lurchers, you've got to go see them. So the next week, they were playing at, this is the first Cherry Face Lurchers gig I went to, um, was at the Yeovil Recreation Center, wow. which was basically a hall. There must have been about 300 people, maybe a little bit more. And I just remember no ventilation Every second person was smoking. You know, back in, the, in those days, 1985, they didn't know about lung cancer, obviously. So everybody was smoking. I was just being, remember being overwhelmed by the smoke. And I thought, Jesus, I'm going to die. But the music was really amazing. And I just remember, like, just being lit up. And I, I would then, after that, I would go and see the Cherry Face Lurchers whenever I could. I used to mainly see them at Tandur. That was like a restaurant kind of place that had a little live performance place at the back on Rocky Street in Yeovil. I used to go there often. And then all the other venues, are, I think I once saw them at Mega Music, yeah. at the Baseline. So the thing about the Cherry Face Lurchers, it wasn't just the music. I'm not a big lyrics person. Now, if you study music and psychology, 
people. Females, women concentrate more on lyrics than men. But for some reason, a lot of the lyrics did did resonate with me and educated me and got me socially and politically aware. Uh, the classic song, Shot Down in the Street. And with Toasted Takeaway, when people would order, it would always be a different thing. And I would always try and order something. And I'd, and he would never, ever take my order. And I think he once, once took my order. And I was quite chuffed that he took my order. But the origins are not very profound, but it's just very... In- what, what happens if you, if you listen to musicians being interviewed, something will spark a creative uh, thing in their mind where the original creative thing doesn't didn't really translate uh, very much into the song, but it just gave them an, an idea. And the story goes that once J- James Phillips was, was walking in, was walking along somewhere along the pavement, and a guy ran towards him, and, and it turns out it was a robber who had just robbed a cafe. And the guy rubbed past James and ran, and the cafe owner was chasing after him. I don't think the cafe owner took a shot at him or anything like that, but he chased after him. The next day, the story was the cafe owner, I think, either got robbed, assaulted, or killed. I don't remember the whole story. But that sparked the theme in James, hey, let me do a song about about a, a Portuguese uh, a cafe owner. And I think that that's what sparked the creativity in him. Anyway, that is the story. I don't know if it's 100% true, but but there you go. Sure. So, okay, now that, you, now that you're letting me get a word in, I have a lot to say, Dave. <laughs> first of all, I want to thank you because it was you who dragged me to my first Cherry Face Lurchers gig. And I, to this day, my, I really have such amazing memories of especially watching them perform Toaster Takeaways. And James Phillips definitely did take my order once. I can't remember what it was, but I remember being very excited that he heard me and he took my order. And that song for me was always like a really fun, light experience. I was like, oh, if I could, if I could go back in time, I'd want to go back to a, a Cherry Face Lurchers gig just to be able to, you know, listen to, to Toaster Takeaways again because it used to be such a fun experience. But now that's interesting that you're telling me that there's actually quite a serious origin to that song because there is a very serious side to this band. They were, um, you know, they did come out during apartheid. They were also a result um, of a previous band that was very um, an activist, anti-apartheid, you know, political kind of band. Um, we are going to go into that in a future episode. I am going to speak to the drummer of the Cherry Face Lurchers and in a future episode. We're going to get the, the, the more serious side of the band. But, yeah, I wanted to just talk about Toaster Takeaways this week because it was fun and because you were the one who took me to those gigs. And I'm eternally grateful. And I hope that, you know, people will actually make an effort. You can listen to the whole of Lava Jamison's online. Um, they're, they're, I think it's a band campsite. The whole album is worth listening to. Every track is amazing. So if you've never heard of the Cherry Face Lurchers, I really do hope that, you know, we've um, introduced you to something. Also, Paolo, how do you feel about the cultural appropriation of the Portuguese cafe owner? I'm all about mocking other cultures. So, you know, you've got to take it when it comes around your way. (laughs) Thank you, Damon. We will definitely be speaking to you again in the future because you have so many other stories to tell. Um, Dory, any major takeaways from that uh, conversation? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to ignore that. (laughs) It has been another fun show. Color by numbers are very – and Dory, guess what? Even though I had the opportunity, I didn't put two of hearts. Oh, wow. I didn't even think of that one. Hmm. I'm impressed. Everything we've spoken about today goes on that 80 Show essay on Facebook. Dory, it's been a fun week. It has what is there a lesson? Did we learn anything? Because what it would be about betterments. Did we learn anything this week that's worthwhile taking into our lives? 
we learned that you can spend a million dollars on a cassette commercial. It's not going to make them stick around. So great, Dory. I love it. I love it. That's mm. that I'm going to take it away with me. Thanks again for joining me, Dory. Bye. Bye.